coming of faith. Let's pray. O oh Lord, your blood, I plead your blood tonight over my heart and over the hearts of my brothers and sisters. I plead your blood tonight, Jesus. Have the victory, Jesus. Come and meet us. Lord, if you don't come and step in, we will surely die. Come with your blood and bring faith to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. One family will say, what really matters is that we love our children. What really matters is that we provide for our children. What really matters is that my children have an opportunity to do better than I was able to do. And so every effort is expanded to bring in the financial resources to buy the house and to buy the car and to buy the life so that the children are taken care of. Some families, on the other hand, say, no, what's really important is that the children be loved. And so one family that I know turned their living room into a playroom for their children. They moved their couches out. They moved everything out when the children began to come. And they set their living room up as a game room for the kids. And soon they took over also the dining room. Finally, the kids had all of the house except one small room. And Jan and I would go and visit this family. We would have to make our way without stepping on a myriad of toys scattered all over the ground, all over the floor. We would have to make our way carefully not to break some precious piece on the floor until finally we could get to the tiny little room where we would sit with the adults while the kids ran the house. Some families, on the other hand, think that what's really important is to travel. And so they don't want to have kids. They want to have money so they can have lifestyle so they can travel. And one family that Jan and I know very well, we always talk with them. And the question we always raise is, where are you now? Well, they're in. Switzerland or they're in Spain or they're in some pleasant place. Oh, I wish you two could be here. I wish you could see this. This is wonderful. And all of their money is used to travel because that's what life is about. New experiences. Other family, on the other hand, thinks that what life is really about is having beautiful pieces of art on the wall 
and having beautiful furniture and not having anything out of place. So that when you walk in, it doesn't even look like anybody lives in the house. And when you visit them and you put a glass down on the table, whoa, apoplexy. Quickly they scurry over and they get that coaster under your, they don't want to leave a mark on that table. It's all about their stuff. In other families that I visit, you go in the front door and you have to mend your way through piles of junk. And you come to the living room, you come to the dining room, the dining room table is covered. You come out in the kitchen, the dishes from last week are still on the table. They've just been shoved back with new dishes stacked. And finally they run out of dishes and so... They have to go and get a, a bowl off the table and go and wash that. So they, and some of them don't even bother washing it. Just scrape it out and eat again. I've been in homes like this. What's your home centered around? What's your life about? What's your heart about? Most families in America have no core values of the gospel. They instead have lifestyle values. And everything is given to that lifestyle, whether it be fishing or whether it be boating or whether it be golfing or whether it be working or whether it be church it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle choice what is your lifestyle how do you live and do you live by faith do you live under the blood by faith or do you live under a hunger in your heart to consume something in the world, whether it be the Lamborghini or the VW, thinking that it's going to fill your hungry place. If you can just get enough of it, if you can just get enough love, if you can just get enough stuff, if you can just get enough recognition, if you can just get enough, then you'll be filled. How do you live your lives? It's the driving passion of your heart. What's your purpose statement? What's your vision statement? What's your life about? Husbands, have you talked with your wives recently about where your family's headed. Are you clear together what your vision is? Will you spend eternity cruising through life? Is that your vision? 
Or do you have an eternal destiny in mind? His name is Jesus. The New Testament church was very clear. Let's be equally clear tonight. We find it in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Most of us in this room accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ And we did not have to face any suffering. Rather, it was simply an added benefit to an already full life. But that was not so in the New Testament church because, look, you have Jewish people who go through this sacrificial system, this ceremonial system, and now these Jewish people have heard The call of Messiah. And when the call of Messiah came, it said all of these sacrifices will not help you stop doing them. You are now under the blood of Jesus, not under the blood of bulls and goats. And you say, well, that should be a fairly easy transition. Everything that they thought brought them into the presence of God now had to be cut off and they had to enter in in a whole new way. And what do you think the family members said? You've become a pagan. You're a Gentile. Do you know how Jews treated Gentiles? They spit on them. They said if you shove them off the road into the ditch, you've done them a service. Hatred rose up in the hearts of those Jewish families that were so carefully knit together by centuries of tradition. And now they were being cut asunder. So much so when the Apostle Paul came back to Jerusalem, even the New Testament church in Jerusalem was saying, what are we going to do? Because Paul, everybody's been hearing that you teach not to follow the way of Moses. Now go and, and go through this ritual cleansing so that they'll all know that you're acceptable. You know, we don't want to cause trouble here. And bless his heart, he said, if it's about getting a bath, I'll take a bath. <laughs> and of course, the Holy Spirit moved and brought difficulty anyway. It wasn't the Lord's will that he enter into those cleansings, those ritual cleansings. So the Lord had to find another way to bring up conflict. He wanted a dividing. The old was gone and the new had come. And great suffering came upon them. Persecution, family persecution. Separated from all that was precious to their hearts. Watch. Verse 33. This is Hebrews 10, verse 33. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison 
Paul was throwing people in prison for the gospel, for Jesus. And they were going and visiting them in prison. Now, what happens when you show up at prison and somebody's in jail for being a Christian and you say, I'm one too? You can go to jail too. You remember when Jesus was being taken, everybody ran because none of the disciples wanted to go to the cross. Now there was boldness and there was great suffering. It says, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So what happens if I come to your house tonight and say, okay, you lose all your furniture. You lose all your clothes. You don't even get to go back in the house. You're going straight to jail. Because you claim Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll deny Jesus, go home. Now, what are you going to do? How will you walk? What's the purpose for your life? Verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. I have a listener to WABS who has called me probably 45 or 50 times in the last 30 days and left messages on my telephone. Taunting messages. And the message always goes something like this. You thought you were somebody because you were on the radio. Now you're off. And you're nobody. And God has left you. And he will never use you. I'm glad you're off the air. Click. And I go to the Lord in my prayer closet and I say, Lord, you've heard this repeated call. You hear the anger and the bitterness. You hear their statement that I can never be used because I've sinned away my grace. And that God has left the National Prayer Chapel and he's left Pastor Ray and Jan Greenlee. And we're all glad you're off the air. Now, how am I to respond? In truth, 
I see no evidence that God is going to break out in this city with revival. There is continual talk in the Christian media that we're on the verge of a great Christian awakening. I see no evidence of that. I see evidence of just the opposite. Coldness of heart, bitterness of spirit, lusting after the things of the world. Eagerness to be successful, expanding every energy on the job, exhaustion and death. I don't see renewal and revival. I come to the National Prayer Chapel and we're a little handful of people in this great big room. How many years must I come here and have all these empty seats? And listen to the taunts. Now the question comes, what am I going to do? How will I respond? Will I say to this person who calls so regularly, you're right. That's true. It's over. Or will faith rise up in my heart? And say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust what you're doing in my life and in the National Prayer Chapel. Everything in my background says, if you're not successful, quickly switch and do something else. If that's not successful, jump fast and get into the next deal. Because you'll soon hit a deal that will be a gold mine. Isn't that the entrepreneurial spirit? If it doesn't work, change it. Adjust the sales. Change the message. Tweak it. Do whatever you have to do to be successful. That's what's happening in America. So where does faith come from? I want to read a scripture for you. Keep your finger right there in Hebrews 11, 10 and 11. We're coming back and we're going to look at some of these passages tonight. But I want to take you back to the 10th chapter. Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 17. Consequently, Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, this is the famous passage. If we read this in context, beginning in verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So how does faith come to our hearts? Faith comes to our heart by hearing the word. By reading the scriptures. Faith comes from reading the scriptures. 
Faith comes from coming here and hearing the word of God preached. Now, Satan is going to do anything he can to keep you from, A, reading the scriptures, and B, from hearing what is being spoken in this house. And if he has to come at me and say, it's hopeless, anything he can do to get me to stop preaching the word, he will do. Anything he has to do to get me to say, oh, I don't have any faith. Jesus said, if you have faith, a grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. This faith is dynamite power. It's awesome in power. So the Lord is saying to my heart, what do you want to believe, Ray? Do you want to believe the statement that this caller is making? Or do you want to believe my promises? Do you want to believe the evidence that you see with your eyes? Or do you want to believe my word? Do you want to believe what you experience? Or do you want to believe what I have said to your heart? Faith does not come from what you see with your eyes. Faith does not come by what you experience in your heart. Faith comes from the word of the living God. Your experience passes no judgment on the word of God. The word of God passes judgment on your experience. The blood of Jesus Christ is not dependent on how I receive it in order to be effective. The blood of Jesus has within it all of the power necessary to crush the enemy. The weakness is not in the blood. The weakness is in my decision about what I'm going to do with my life. If you say to me, oh, pastor, I just don't have any faith. You are saying to me one of two things. Either you have not been consuming the word of God and listening to the preaching. Or you have sin in your heart that you want to hold on to. And that is more precious to you than the word of God. It is a safe haven, we think, to hide back here in a little hidey cave labeled no faith. Because then we can pray, oh God, give me faith. And let me keep my sin. I had a pastor once say to me, Ray, man, there's, there's a man rowing a boat over you. And you're down at the bottom of the sea. But you're not just down at the bottom of the sea. You're back in a little cave and you've barricaded the cave. 
And from way back there in your little barricaded cave, you're trying to shout up to the man up on the surface. And you're trying to tell him what a victim you are. How bad life is. How poorly you've been treated. How impossible it is for you to swim. Any of you in that Heidi cave tonight? Feeling sorry for yourself? Saying my faith just isn't enough. Now the problem is not with your faith. The problem is with your heart. The problem is not with the blood. The problem is with what your heart desires. That's why we open tonight by saying one family will say, look, what's really important is that my kids feel loved and I provide everything for them. My kids have to get ahead in life. You have now made a statement about what your purpose is, and it's contrary to the word of the living God. The word of God says your kids are supposed to be holy. Not happy. But we say we want our kids happy, even if they're not holy. See, it depends on what the purpose of your life is. Is your heart to hear the word of God, to allow that word of God by the blood of Jesus to pierce our heart and cause us to lay down our sin and stop the rebellion and be willing then to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ every disgrace. Is that our heart? How we find faith is described in the 11th chapter, verse 1. Now faith is being sure. This is Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Okay, let's, let's lay this out. The Lord has said, on one day I'm going to birth the National Prayer Chapel as a full-grown church in one day. You're not going to grow a few people and then add a few more and then add a few more. No, he said, you're going to have a small remnant of people. And then in one day, that power of the Spirit will break out and that remnant will suddenly explode into a national church. That's what the Lord told me and gave me the scriptures to support. Now, that goes against everything I've ever been taught about church growth. Church growth teaches that you're supposed to make certain you have enough seats and make sure you have enough parking space. Make sure you do your marketing campaign correctly. Make sure that you have the beautiful music that is necessary. Bring in the big name speaker. I mean, do whatever you have to do. The crowds will begin to come. I've done that kind of church. Sandy was there. Kurt was there. Faye was there. 
the end of the first year, we had over 300 people. We were a rock and roll church. I mean, we had the music and we had the programs and we had the dinners and we had, I mean, we had the television advertisements. We had the special Christmas television show on Channel 7. I mean, we were rock and roll church. But no presence of God. No power of the Spirit. I mean, the cash was great. We could do anything we wanted to do. No presence of God. No presence of God. You have to decide what you want to do with your life. And I look at this whole picture and I say, I'm going to trust the promises of God. I'm going to wait on Jesus. I don't have any physical evidence to suggest that I should wait. But does that mean it's not true? No. Well, let's take it another way. When I go into my prayer closet, I have absolutely no sense that God is hearing my prayer. I have absolutely no sense that that I'm covered by the blood. Does that mean God's not hearing my prayer and I'm not covered by the blood? No. No. My relationship with God is not based on my experience. It's based on the blood of Jesus. My intimacy with God is not based on my experiencing intimacy with God. My intimacy with God is based on Jesus' intimacy with the Father. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into my prayer closet and laid down on the floor and said, Oh God, oh God, look how bad everything is. And he let me do that for a long time. Until finally he got tired of my whining and he said, stop it. Lift your hands up and praise me. I have never, ever, ever seen God move in response to whining. God is not moved by whining. God is moved when I take a hold of the word and I say, I stand on this word. I believe it's true. I trust in your blood. I'll not be turned aside. I'll not be turned aside. I will not be turned aside. I stand on this precious word. Doesn't matter, Jesus, how I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I know. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do tomorrow. It matters, Jesus, only what you've done on Calvary. I stand by faith on your word. I will not be moved. Now, am I saved? 
opens up a whole big question. Christians today are very quick to say, oh, I'm saved. Oh, I'm saved. But their life shows no evidence of salvation. Are they just taking the word of God and standing on it? No, they're taking their own foolish hearts and standing on their own foolishness. The word of God says, Ephesians, the first chapter, that we have received the first deposit of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing us what is to come. The first deposit. In other words, there are many more deposits that are going to be made to the account. This is just the first deposit. If any of you to me, if any of you say to me tonight, I'm saved, then I'm going to have to ask you why you're still here. Why aren't you in heaven? Now, if you say to me, I'm saved by faith. Now we're talking biblical language. I'm saved by faith. But my body is still in the corruptible state. I'm still here suffering the attacks of the devil. I'm still in a war zone. I'm not saved out of this war zone yet. I'm not saved in my body that it will not face death. I'll be saved when my body is turned from corruption to incorruption. When the twinkling a moment, I'll be changed. When I'm with Jesus, then I'll say, I'm saved. I'll have my heavenly body. I will no longer ever walk under the possibility of entering darkness. All of us tonight face that horrible prospect spoken of in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. All of us have the possibility of still becoming the bitter enemies of God. But we will not become the bitter enemies of God. If we read this word and we meditate on it and we listen to the spoken word and our hearts are cut and challenged and we turn to Jesus in humbleness of heart and say, oh, Lord, I don't feel saved. I don't experience the presence of the Holy Spirit like I want to experience it. The devil comes to me and says to me, you're not walking the Christian life. Who do you think you are? And every condemnation of the devil comes down on my heart. But what's the truth? I mean, the devil came first and he said, you shall not 
surely die. And now the devil comes and says, you shall surely die. It's the same devil. And he's a liar. So faith comes as we begin to understand what the word of God is, and we begin to stand on that word in the face of every tormenting voice from the devil that comes at us. And the word says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see based on the sure word of the living God of heaven. So let's put it this way. Mama comes to little daughter and says, Anna Lee, on Friday of this week, Daddy's going to take us and he's going to buy you a new dress. And she says, Oh, Daddy, can I wear it to church? Yes, Annalee, you can wear it to church. Now, what is she going to do? She's headed out to tell her friends, my daddy's going to buy me a new dress on Friday. My daddy's going to buy me a dress. Now, what if a playmate says, Jan Leah, your daddy doesn't have any money. Your daddy's not going to buy you a dress. So Annalie, tears, she runs back inside and she goes to her daddy and she says, Daddy, are you going to buy me a dress? Sweetheart, I told you I was going to buy you a dress. I'm going to buy you a dress on Friday. Well, so-and-so said, Annalie, they're not your daddy. And they're not going to buy you the dress. I'm going to buy you the dress. Well, they said you don't have any money, Daddy. Well, they haven't been in my pocketbook. They don't know how much money I have. But on Friday, I'm going to buy you a dress. And so reassured, she runs back outside and she tells her friend, my daddy says he's going to buy me a dress on Friday. And the playmate says, you don't deserve a dress. A little girl runs back into daddy. She's in tears and she says, daddy, are you going to get me a dress on Friday? Yes, I'm going to get you a dress on Friday. But Daddy, I don't deserve a dress on Friday. Daddy puts her arms around Leanne and says, Leanne, you don't deserve a dress on Friday. I'm not buying you a dress because you deserve a dress. I'm buying you a dress because I want you to be with me. Because I love you. 
That's why I buy you a dress. Because you're my daughter. Now, is there anything anybody can say to Leanne that will now convince her that daddy's not going to buy a dress on Friday? No. Every accusation's been answered. Every lie's been exposed. She knows that her daddy has a heart for her. And she knows from past experience that her daddy's word is absolutely true and faithful. So she is not surprised at all when on Friday her daddy says, are you ready to go? We're going to go buy a dress. And she says, oh, daddy, I'm ready to go. She already got up and was dressed and excited. And she's ready to go. And all the way to the store, her daddy's ear is bent with what kind of dress she wants. Do you understand? The word of God is sure. The word of God can be trusted. The word of God is not yes and no. The word of God is yes and amen. Now, I don't know how you've experienced life, but I'll tell you how I have experienced it. I have been promised positions that at the last moment were taken by another. I've been promised money. And at the last moment, the money was withdrawn. I've been promised friendship. And the friendship was taken back. I have been promised so much. Until I finally came to a point where I cried out to God. Oh God. Let every man be a liar. Let every man be a liar. And so I come to God. Now, why is God going to be any different in my life than everybody else I've had to deal with? And so surely God will disappoint me just like dad did. And just like mom did and just like my brothers did and just like my professors did and just like this one did and that one did. So I grow to a place where there is an expectation in my heart of cynical disbelief. And yet I bear testimony tonight, never once has God ever lied to me. Never once has God departed and left me to face the enemy unprotected. Never once has God treated me in a manner that could cause me to complain against him. Always he has been more than fair and just. Always he has been honest. Always he's been trustworthy. He has delivered me from every bondage. He's rescued me from every crisis. 
He has carried me. Now I come and I ask you, do you have a charge against God? Do you have an accusation against God? Can you prove him unfaithful? Will you shrink back and be destroyed? That's what it says. Hebrews 10 verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. I've tried so many times to talk about this and I feel like I can't speak. Lord, would you help me? Would you give me utterance to say this with clarity? And would you open the hearts of my brothers and sisters to receive your word? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Faith is my willingness to believe his word. Regardless of what it feels like or what it looks like. Regardless of what other people say to me. Regardless of the voices of the past that ring in my ears and tell me don't trust it. Faith is believing that what God has said is true. And acting on that word. Not saying, let me wait and see. Wait and see is the word of the devil. I was raised with a saying. It'll all come out in the wash. If I wait until it all comes out in the wash, I might get washed away. No, what does God say? What promise are you taking in your hands before the throne of God and saying, I will stand on this promise regardless of what it looks like? I will trust the living God of heaven. I will not be turned aside by the evil lies of the devil that now want to say to me, you shall surely die. For the Lord said, you shall live and not die. Will you believe the word of God to your heart? Will you trust his word to your heart? We go through all of this 11th chapter it's marvelous what the Lord God of heaven does in this 11th chapter. He takes section by section men and women of history. And he says, look where they were. God spoke to them. They believed what God said. Look what happened because they believed. 
By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Verse 4, by faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. This was by faith. Can you imagine Enoch in his prayer closet crying out to the Lord God of heaven? He's 300 years old. He has had children. He's raised his children. And now he's saying, I finally get it. You want me to be your child. You want me to be trusting in your word. God, will you make me a promise? Will you take me home? Now he begins to press God on the promise that God will take him home. He pressed God so hard on that promise. God said, look, we're closer to my house than yours. Come on home with me. Did you know God has made the same promise to you to take you home? Are you pressing him on his promise to take you home? Or do you have other things you want to get done? Do you have other agendas you need to take care of? Jesus, I want to go home with you, but not right now, Jesus, because I've got these things over here I've got to clean up. Jesus, I want to go home with you. But you see, I need to earn some money. I want to, I want to go home with you, Jesus, but first can I get married? Jesus, I want to go to heaven with you, but hey, I want to get a college degree. I want to be somebody. Will you let me be somebody and then take me? Now, Enoch, like a laser beam, said, I am standing on the promise that you're going to take me home. And so every time they got closer to God's house than Enoch's house, Enoch was all over God saying, can you just take me on home? Now, you understand, home was right through into the garden. The tree of life was in the garden. It was on the earth. So I'm sure when God and Enoch went for their walks, Enoch was trying to lead God around to the entrance to the <laughs> garden. On the slide. I mean, he had only one heart. I want to go home. I want to go home. And one night they stood there before that angel. And the Lord gave the command and the sword stopped swinging. And he walked past that destroying angel. He walked into the place of eternal peace and the Lord walked with him right up to the tree of life and on the way to the tree of life he saw withered an old dead tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he walked up to the tree of life and he reached out and he took that and he began to eat. And he had eternal life. 
and he never went back. He didn't get to go back and tell his wife, sweetheart, I made a decision to go to heaven. <laughs> he didn't get to go back and kiss the grandkids. He had only one agenda. I want to go home. I want to go home with you, Jesus. I want to be with you. You're my heart. I want to be with you. His heart was crying out. He believed the promise God made him. Now my question to you tonight is, who are you believing? Now I have to tell you, I've gone into the prayer closet and I've said to the Lord, Lord, everything in my physical flesh says that this caller is right. But you taught me that I can't listen to that. You taught me that all that matters is what you say. And so Jesus, it doesn't matter what the evidence looks like. It doesn't matter what my experience is. It doesn't matter what other people say to me. I believe you. And I will operate not on what I think or what I feel. I won't even operate on what I believe. I will operate on what you say. On what your word says. I will trust your word. Look at verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's just saying, and he keeps his promises. He does what he tells you he will do. So what is it you're facing tonight? A, a wife or a husband that is not a believer? A child in your family that is walking in rebellion? A financial crisis, a health crisis, a crisis of your soul. Whatever it is, the crisis has come because the devil is lying to you. I've never yet heard the Lord say, I'm a little short this month. I don't have enough money, Ray, to cover that. He's never said that to me. Ray, if you'll just wait until next week, I'll get my pay. And I'll help you. No, God never says that to me. The Lord never has said to me, you know, this sickness, I've got to go back to the lab and check out some more treatments. No, he's never said that to me. You know, this marriage, I understand. I think I better go talk with a psychologist about your situation and get some conferencing on, on your marriage situation because I don't, I'm not sure I can handle what's happening in your marriage. 
No, God's never said that. God speaks his word. His word is clear. Now, will you believe his word? And will you stand on it though the heavens fall? Will you stand on it and not be moved? If God says it, it's settled. If God says it, it's settled. If God's word says it, it's true. And the only way I can enter in is by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. You notice he did not build a boat. Noah did not build a boat. He built an ark. An ark has no rudder. An ark has no power to move it through the waters. It doesn't have a captain's quarters. An ark is a place of safety that is sheltered in the hands of God. It was no accident that that box that Moses made was called the ark. Because we can't steer it. We don't have a captain's house on the Ark of the Covenant where Moses went to reside and, and run the deal. An ark is a place of safety. Some of you tonight are out there trying to steer your deal through for Jesus. Yeah. You can't steer an ark. It has no outward motor. An ark is going to go the way the Lord God of heaven says it's going to go. Now the question is, will you trust him? Will you take the ride? When faith comes to your heart, will you take the ride in the ark of the covenant? What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now, I wish it would just stop right there. I wish the next sentences were not in the Bible. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, 
the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, he's saying, look, when you don't get the answer to your prayer, will you still believe? When you don't get the deliverance, will you still believe? When the deliverance doesn't come, the finances crash, the house is lost, the car is lost, you're out, you have no home, you have to go and live with another family. Will you trust God then? Will you stand by faith on what he said to you? Or will you turn away and make your own success? I tell you tonight, the Lord is looking for a people who will allow, who will give permission for faith to come into your heart. The only way faith can be denied is if you choose to deny its coming. When you read the word of God, faith will come. When you hear this sermon tonight, faith will come. Will you deny it entrance to your heart? Will you harden your heart against Almighty God? Or will you let faith come into your heart and burn in your spirit and cause you to turn everything over to the Lord Jesus Christ, including your salvation? And will you trust him? See, trust and faith do not come by repeating a hundred times a day. I'll trust you, Lord. 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 That's not how faith comes. Faith does not come by re repetitious statements. Faith comes by reading the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word spoken under the anointing of the spirit. Conviction rises up in our hearts. I'm just sensing tonight some of you need to repent for your lack of faith. You've been buffeted and tossed by the lies of the devil. By your own self-condemnation. Refusing to believe the word of God. Will you believe the word of God? And will you trust in the provision of the blood of Jesus? So it brings us again to the same question I raised earlier. What are you centering your family around? What are you centering your life around? I can tell you tonight that Pastor Jan and myself have covenanted together to focus our life around the cross of Jesus Christ and to walk by faith under that blood anointing for the National Prayer Chapel, for your lives, 
for our marriage, for every need that would rise up in our heart, for every condemnation that would come at us either from our own hearts or from other people. We're going to keep focus on the cross and on the word of God. And we're going to trust that what he said is going to come to pass. So I hope you're here tonight. We're looking for water walkers. Men and women who will walk by faith. Where no man should walk. Where no woman should walk. Even if we drown. We walk by faith. Let's pray. Oh Lord. Your word is sure. You've said come and walk by faith. Put your trust in me. My word is certain. I will not disappoint you. I praise you tonight. I thank you tonight. I glorify your name tonight. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen.